Well, good morning. Hi, church. How are you today? He's still risen, right? Amen. That's what we're here to celebrate. We're going to celebrate that the kingdom has come to you. We'll read those words in a verse today that the kingdom is yours. And I've been percolating on that all week. What does that mean? At times, it really bugged me. At other times, I got excited. The kingdom is yours. And so I'm going to start with a story. I usually don't start with a story, but I'm going to start with a story from when I was in high school. I played some basketball. Um, being able to go like this helped for that. Um, and it was my senior year, and I was pretty focused on the game. It was a pretty big game. We were doing warm-ups, so we had our... Uh, I don't know, long sleeve warm-up shirt on, you know? And so we're warming up. I'm thinking of the game. We sit down for starting lineups. They're going one by one, you know, and the crowd claps or whatever. And I'm the last one out of our tunnel for warm-ups. And I take my warm-up off, and I'm wearing a white T-shirt. <laughs> I had forgot to put my jersey on. I had come out so early for warm-ups before even the team had gotten together practicing I hadn't even put my jersey on. So I come out of the tunnel and veer right off to the court, straight to the locker room. And everyone's like, what in the world? This is the team we're playing against, really? I mean, so they, had to, they started the game. I'm in the locker room. I'm looking for my jersey. I got to find that thing, right? I want to participate with the team. I want to be part of this. And I, you might think it's a small deal to not be wearing your green jersey, but it meant I had to let my team down for a few minutes. They had to start the game without their center. And finally, I came back into the arena, or the gym, not arena, come on, I played. <laughs> the fish kind of grows over the years, you know what I mean? <laughs> I've had a few people invite me to play basketball. I said, let's just kind of keep it as a legend that, <laughs> that maybe back in the day I was good. <laughs> Don't pop my bubble, you know? Um, <laughs> but anyways, I finally found the jersey. finally got to get back in the game and play and participate with my team. And I've begun, become very excited as I'm on this process going through Luke and I'm learning as I go, what is this kingdom of God? And it's something that he's called us to participate in. I think that's pretty special. We're called to reflect that kingdom. And so as we go to the next slide, I'm just going to let you see this photo. At first you see the castle that's there, right? And then you look below and you see the reflection, don't you? It's a little blurry at times. You can kind of make out where the white part is and where the yellow part is, but it's there. It's reflecting that kingdom and that castle. And as we go to the next slide, what I want to propose to you is that the kingdom of God has an ethic. That means that it's not just a place. It's not just a bunch of empty, cold stones of a castle. It's not a map. 
When we say like the kingdom of England, we usually think the map of a land. But as the New Testament uses the word the kingdom of God, it refers to the reign of God. The words kingdom and reign are just different by just a few letters in the Greek. It's the same thing. The kingdom is where a king reigns. It's the reign of God. And at the very start of your Bibles, God is reigning over his creation. And he creates man and woman, and he gives them a stewardship to participate in that. He says, tend over the garden. Do this with me. And as time goes on, they stop doing it with him. Instead of bringing blessing to the creation, they brought a different kind of rain, a rain of terror that we've been experiencing ever since. A rain that includes sin and death. A rain that includes cheating others out of what's theirs. And I think about these old castles in Europe. I think of these old cathedrals in Europe that sit empty as landmarks. It's not the kingdom of God. Our church building is not the kingdom of God, is it? And it haunts me to see these wonderful cathedrals that are dead because God no longer reigns there over its people. Somewhere along the line, they got off mission. Somewhere along the line, they stopped participating in the reign of God. Today, we get to participate in the reign of God. So we're covering Luke 5 and 6 today. And this first section here, I'm just going to summarize to you briefly. And you're going to see four examples of the kingdom coming to people, where the rain comes to people. You're going to see four examples where people resist the rain of God in their life. But what's happening here is that for the first time in the gospel, Jesus is putting together a team. It's not just him traveling, bringing the kingdom of God. He's passing along the stewardship. And a beautiful thing as he brings together people. And so, at the beginning of chapter 5, he calls the first disciples. As he's teaching, he finds a guy in a boat fishing named Peter. And he has to use his boat. And once he's teaching is over, he tells Peter to cast his nets out and they haul in a huge thing of fish. His partners, James and John, who also end up being disciples, help him pull it in. And Peter's reaction is one of repentance when he realizes who Jesus is. And he falls down to his knees. And he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. He thinks that disqualifies him from receiving the kingdom. Instead, that's the prerequisite that we learned about last week, that repentance leads the highway of the king to your life. And so Peter 
typifies for the church a repentance. Oh Lord, I'm not worthy to be called your disciple. That is exactly the point, Peter. Now, God can use you to be fisher of men. You can now participate in the kingdom of God. This next story is Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Leprosy was very contagious. You did not want to touch a leper or you would get leprosy and you would have to be abandoned out of town. You'd have to avoid people. I bet this man hadn't been touched in years. And yet Jesus touched him and said, I am willing, be clean. And the man's leprosy went away. Kingdom of God came to that man. A third story here of the kingdom coming to people was a paralytic whose friends had to bring him on a mat to Jesus. And there was no room, and so they dug a hole through the roof and they laid him down. And I've always thought of this paralytic as perhaps someone who was paralyzed waist down. Though maybe they would have called him being lame then. I don't know how much range of motion he's had. But I imagine the imagery of this man as he's laid down on a bed in front of Jesus. Maybe it was neck down. But I just imagine him making eye contact with Jesus. Maybe that's the most he could do. Saying, Jesus, my eyes are on you. Just as all of us are dead in our sin, unable to become alive on our own, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We say, Jesus, let your kingdom come in my life because I need it. God restored him. And he ran away rejoicing. The fourth and last story here of the kingdom coming to people was the tax collector, Matthew. Jesus comes to him and says to follow me. Matthew was thrilled. He threw a party with all of his friends. And at the end of that party, we see now the first example of people resisting the kingdom of God with the Pharisees. They said, this Jesus is eating with sinners. Can you believe that? Jesus makes a comment at the end of that saying, it's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. He says, for I have come for the sick and the sinner. And then in these next ones, the discussion about fasting, the discussion about Sabbath, and Jesus healing the Sabbath, he's starting to get opposition from people who aren't buying this thing called the kingdom of God. Their own agendas are getting rubbed the wrong way from Jesus bringing the kingdom. They feel their own power slipping and it makes them uncomfortable. And then at the very end of the section, Jesus chooses 12 disciples after praying all night. And he's putting together a team. And we see that as Luke transitions to Acts, We're part of that team now, 2,000 years later. Isn't that wonderful? As we participate in that. You ever ask yourself why you go to church?
to participate in that. It's a beautiful plan that's unfolding. And it stretches into eternity. So this next section I am going to read to you. And I highlighted the Beatitudes section as that's what we'll focus on in our remaining slides. But before we read God's word here, let's pray. Lord, your word here says today that the kingdom is ours. I pray you reveal to our hearts what that means. I pray that we would not resist it, but that we would fall to our knees and say, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So give us ears to hear, Lord. We are willing to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 17, it says that, When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus in a large level area surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the seacoasts of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and healed everyone. Then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. But what sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now, for a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now, for your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised false prophets. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on your cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to others for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. The next sections here talks about not judging others, not being hypocritical. talks about the tree and its fruit and how we should bring out true fruit if we've truly been changed. And lastly, it mentions that we are to not just call Lord our Lord, but to actually treat him as such. 
and allow his reign in our lives that we might build on a solid foundation of rock that will not be washed away. Amen. So let's go to this verse on the kingdom. Oh, yes, we'll go here first. So they come down from that mountainside. Jesus is putting together a team. The disciples are there, surrounded by followers and crowds. It's interesting, their distinction between the three. I'd venture to guess there might be folks in the church here that are disciples of God. Others might be following someone here. Someone might want to be part of this crowd. But as we see in the next verse, eventually Jesus turns to his disciples to teach them. As we stay on, uh, if you go back just one more for me, um, it mentions how he's bringing healing and restoration both physically and spiritually. We see that back in Luke chapter 4. The demons flee. And so do the diseases. And what I've wrestled with in this kingdom of God idea is, is it spiritual or is it physical? And if it's only spiritual, then why are the disease being healed? If it's only spiritual, then why does Jesus raise physically from the dead? And if it's only spiritual, why does Revelation chapter 20 say that heaven comes to earth? And the reign of God is established. Now I'm still trying to make sense of that connection. Let's go here to the next verse. We'll get to it. But Jesus turns to his disciples. He says, four blessings. He says, blessed are you who are poor, who are hungry, who weep. When people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you. Now, all of these are not an inherent blessing just for being poor or just for being hungry or just for weeping or just for being excluded, but it's because these disciples are following the Son of Man. And as you heard the ethic of the reign of God. Those are tough instructions to love your enemies. To lend freely. You might say, if I did that, I'd be po- I might become poor. Okay. Blessed are you who are poor because you follow the Son of Man. Blessed are you who are hungry because you follow the Son of Man. Blessed are you who weep because you follow the Son of Man. Blessed are you because people speak evil of you because you follow the Son of Man. Because you are participating in the reign of God. You are following the example of Christ. And that's what it says here in the next verses. It says uh, in verse 23, it says, To be happy and leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. It says, remember, that's how people have treated the prophets of the kingdom of God. 
since the very beginning. Now it mentions here now heaven. I thought it should have. I thought we're talking about the kingdom of God. Why does he, what is heaven and how is that different than the kingdom? From what I've been researching, I'm at the point where when I see the kingdom of God, I'm hearing Jesus say the here and the now. And boy, I want that. And yet, as it's a reflection, just like that picture we saw at the very beginning, the reflection of the castle, it is a reflection of heaven. And someday in Revelation chapter 20, they're one of the same. But what we do now affects heaven. And as we reflect what heaven will be like as we worship God, as we live in harmony with one another, as we come together in unity from every tribe, tongue, and nation, as we reflect heaven now, that is our witness to the world. That is the kingdom of God. And it comes in glimpses. And sometimes it looks a little blurry. But when people see that, when they see us living out the reign of God in our lives, it's a pillar and support of the truth that God is alive. That His reign is here and is coming. It points people to God. It adorns the gospel as we image heaven here on earth through His reign. But as we saw four examples of religious leaders that had, did not want anything to do with it, we see sorrows that are linked in the same ways. It says, sorrow for the rich, for the full, for those who are laughing, and for those always praised by others. It reverses what we just saw in the blessings. And it says, for that's how they treated the false prophets. It's not always a sign of God's blessing for you to be rich and full and praised by everyone. You must ask yourself, whose example, whose footsteps are we following? And yet we become so disoriented, so disoriented when we're treated as Jesus was treated. It sounds glamorous to be a servant until you're treated like one. That's when the rubber hits the road. You want to participate in the kingdom and reign of God? That's the direction that he's calling us as a church. Let's continue on here in verse 27. It says, You who are willing to listen... And now this is the first time we're told what to do. Before, he's just saying blessed when you're in these states as you follow Jesus, which they already are. So I guess, I guess this is under the umbrella of following Jesus. But now he's starting to give some imperatives. And he says, to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless instead of curse. Pray for those who hurt you. The very end, 
gives the golden rule, do to others as you would like them to do to you. I bristle at some of this stuff. I want to cry out like, hey, there's boundaries here, okay? We live in America, there's land ownership rights. You know, like, you don't go against this stuff. (laughs) I think some of that's true. I think the rest of Scripture shows that there's respect for individual rights and people in the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus, he just doesn't give the disclaimer here. I don't know why not. Maybe he's given people a chance to say, you know what, if it's going to be hard, I'm out. <laughs> I was just following the crowd. I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's why he said, are you willing to listen? If not, you can leave. I'm not going to force my kingdom upon you, but I want to invite you to participate with me as God Almighty in what I'm doing in this world. You're invited. Verse 32. Three times he mentions the credit that we're to be seeking from heaven. It's an upside-down kingdom. He says, look, the kingdoms of this world are doing these things this way. If you do what they're doing, what's the difference? The world loves who loves them, doesn't it? The world invests in those that give back, doesn't it? At the very end, it says even sinners will do the same kind of thing. But then in verse 35, he says, So love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. This isn't the only ethic in the kingdom of God. He's given snapshots, ones that are hard to swallow. But the idea is here that you might be seeking the reward from heaven, which will be very, very great. You ever wonder how long eternity is? It's a long time. As Paul says, the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the surpassing greatness of the glory that will be revealed within us. Eternity is a long time. And as we reflect our Creator, we get to share in that reward forever. And we get to be a part of what He's doing here and now with others. And He writes all of this in following His example where he says, you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. So the word acting, think of the word reflecting. You will truly be reflecting your king. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. So you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. 
Think of Peter. Think of the man with leprosy. Think of the paralytic. Jesus gave up his rights to bring his kingdom to them, though they were undeserving. And he gave his life for them, and he gave his life for you and I, who are in many ways unthankful and wicked. And yet we bristle at the thought of doing the same for someone else. It is hard to do unless you root it in truly knowing the King. Unless you truly root it in the Gospel. Unless your heart is saturated with thankfulness for God's mercy. Unless that takes root, you will not be ready to share that mercy with others. As it goes on to share about a good tree bringing out good fruit from the good stored up within itself. If you turn to the gospel, you get to be alive. And now you can bear fruit. I'll share another story or two from high school. This includes me being a stinker to my parents. I remember one day, I was having a bad attitude, and uh, my parents had to run an errand or something, but came upstairs, and I was, I, I knew I wasn't being the, ni- <laughs> the nicest. <laughs> my mom had made some homemade pudding, and she had a little cup set out for me with a little note that just says, I love you, Rob. And I sat down in that chair and I stared at that pudding. And I said to myself, I don't deserve that pudding. (laughs) I had a moment by myself, you know. And I probably never said anything to my mom about that. (sighs) I was on the verge of tears thinking of that kindness that I didn't deserve. remember another time my dad asking me to mow the lawn and, well, I didn't want to. I said he could. So he said, okay, I will. He went out and mowed the lawn. He said, I won't ask you to do anything I won't be willing to do. Guess how I felt while he was mowing the lawn and I sat in the living room thinking about what just happened. I didn't feel too good about flexing my independence right then. You know, it's true that the king, we, it's our duty to follow the king, and yet the scriptures say it's the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance. We have a lot to be thankful for. And yet we are often unthankful. So, as a church, I get excited thinking about us reflecting God's reign to those within our church and those outside of our church. I get excited about that. 
I don't want this to be a cold building years down the line. But as the prayer we started service and worship goes, that we want the Lord's kingdom to come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Dallas Willard is an author of a popular evangelical systematic theology book. and He summarizes the kingdom this way. He says it's, it's God reigning and it's present wherever God wants done is done. Carries with it that theme of the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom of God. Wherever Jesus goes, and wherever people participate with Jesus, the light of heaven opens, and the darkness of this earth flees. And in closing, I just want to share, at the end of Luke 1, Zechariah makes a statement at the end of his prophecy about the king coming. In the very last verse of what he says, he says that the morning light of heaven is breaking upon us. It is a light. It's giving light to those who sit in darkness. And it's giving light to those sitting in the shadow of death. It's a light that gives us the pathway to peace. I hope today you saw the light of heaven shining down through Jesus Christ through his unmerited mercy towards us. And I hope that you take up the challenge to participate in allowing God to use you to bring his light to the world. That's what it means for his kingdom to come. As we transition to communion here, First Corinthians 11, we find a passage we often read, and yet there's an ethic behind taking communion. First Corinthians, they were trying to keep their relationship with God just vertical. And yet in First Corinthians 11, he says, "You're not considering neither God's sacrifice towards you. You're not taking seriously his blood and you're not taking seriously your brother because in your meetings when you take communion, many of you are going hungry while the others are just partying. For to be the body of Christ as we take communion, we consider both the blood and the body of Christ. It's a symbol of saying, yes, God. I want to participate in your reign. That what you want done would be done. 
If that's too abstract for you, consider this. As you go throughout this week, each day, just pause and do a 360. Just look at the circle around you and pray and say, God, let your kingdom come and use me however you wish to do that.